Hello, and welcome to the Online Warriors podcast. Today, you're being hosted by TechTick, and I'm joined here with Nerd Bomber herself. I'm just staring straight into the eyes of our mascot, Charles, who's rocking a really big red rocket because he's so excited about this episode. It's a little, I know that's a little risque to say, but it's true. I can't, (laughs) I can't hide it. He's just giving me the look that he's super pumped. I am also joined by Red Rocket over here. And in addition to Red Rocket, I am joined by Illegal himself. I am not looking at or in the direction of any Red Rockets. Um, but I do want to ask you, Tectic, how does it feel? It feels pretty good. It now, feels what, good, right? What I'm most excited for is to tell you folks about our lineup and what you're going to hear about today. The first topic we're going to cover is the Avengers Endgame is coming to theaters Friday again. The second thing we're going to be talking about is the Harry Potter mobile game Bust. And then the third thing that we're going to be talking about is you may be getting horns from using your cell phone. Let that stew. Now that's horns, not horny. Two very different things. You may be actually growing horns is what he means. Let that stew. So with that, I enjoyed myself, and now I'm going to hand it over to Ill Eagle. All right, so, uh, so I'm just going to do the whole everything you just did over again, because I didn't like the way you did it. I'm just kidding. Um, let's just let's dive in. What do you say? Let's talk about Endgame, you know? It's been like probably like three weeks since we talked about Endgame, the first time it came out. It feels like it's been that long. It's probably been longer. Um, but as, as Tactic said, it's coming back. Um, Marvel really wants that number one all-time box office record. They're just shy of Avatar's $2.788 billion. Um, so they're re-releasing it, and they're formally dubbing it as the quote-unquote Bring Back event, which I don't really know. That's kind of not a very good name, I feel like. Um, anyways, uh, as I think you also mentioned, Tectic, uh, this starts Friday, this coming Friday, June 28th. Um, and essentially, here's kind of a brief rundown of the new things that will happen. Um, there's really only three major things. No, sorry, four. Um, uh, they're going to be giving select theaters posters depicting Tony Stark's version of the Infinity Gauntlet. And I'm looking at this picture in front of me right now. It's actually it's pretty, pretty sweet. Cool. Yeah, it says, We Love You 3000 on it. It's got a picture of the gauntlet. It doesn't even have the title on it. It's just kind of a cool... Definitely a collector's uh, collector's item for anyone who's interested in it. Um, so it says that'll be coming to select theaters. Uh, not all, I guess, but select theaters. I don't know how you can check to see if yours will have it, but something to think about. Um, the screening itself will include uh, an intro from uh, one of the directors, Anthony Russo. Um, there will also be a quote-unquote unfinished deleted scene. Uh, no real word on what that scene contains. And then there's also going to be a sneak peek for Spider-Man Far From Home, which actually comes out next week. So it's kind of a, a double-edged sword for Marvel. They're re-releasing this movie to try and get its box office totals up, and also they're kind of using it as a hype tool for uh, Spider-Man, which I don't really think it needs hype. I'll probably see that one anyways. But um, I guess I, I, kinda, I just want to talk about this. Um, well, first of all, you, are you guys in the position, do you think you would go see it again? So I think if it does surpass avatar as the number one box office i think there should be an asterisk next to it because this is almost kind of like cheating to achieve that goal you get one window and if you don't hit it move on did they re-release avatar though i'm looking that up right now i'm googling that as i 
as I asked the question, because I want to see if they did the same thing. I don't uh, remember if they did. I know personally, regardless of like being part of this record-breaking performance, I think, again, like Tectic said, they should have an asterisk. But also, I'm not going to go see it because from a consumer standpoint, this feels like a total money grab. And I don't like that. I'm one of those people where I will support your franchise as long as you're true to the consumer. But if like this is so very obviously to pad their stats and to get more money and they know that it'll work because everyone knows it'll work. People will go see it again. And it's just I don't know. Let me enjoy Spider-Man in peace. Don't force me to see Avengers again. I mean, I guess no one's forcing me, but it's just something feels wrong from a consumer standpoint. Would you pay the price of a movie ticket for one poster? No. See, I, well, okay, first of all, uh, I did Google, apparently Avatar was re-released, um, but it looks like it only generated $40 million in additional box office revenue, whereas its initial release grossed like $2.8 billion, so how didn't far, that much. Do you know how far away the Avengers movie is from beating Avatar? Uh, yes, I have that information right here, $38.3 million. Uh, which I am pretty sure it's going to get. So yeah, I guess it would be on par with the Avatar re-release. So I mean, with that in perspective, maybe it's not that bad. But I don't remember Avatar being released specifically to break a record. I don't even know what the terms of the re-release were, but I feel like it was just kind of like an under-the-radar thing. I don't remember it. Like, maybe it was a 3D re-release. I honestly don't know. Yeah, there aren't a whole lot of details here. Um I'm kind of scanning. I'm looking around. Um, it was released in uh, in 2010, apparently, which I don't I don't know when it originally came out, but it was definitely like 2007 or something. Um, sorry, I'm doing some live fact finding here. Uh, Avatar came out in 2009 originally. It was really re-released in 2010. I don't really know why they did that, um, but yeah. So you could make the argument that. Avengers is doing the same thing, just at a more accelerated timescale. I see it as a money grab. Um, a lot of people, I think, are seeing right through it and seeing it as a cheap tactic to get to that number one spot. Um, with that said, I have this little thing called Stubbs AMC A-List, or whatever you want to call it, AMC Stubbs A-List, which is an AMC thing that lets you see three movies a week, um, no restrictions at all for like 20 bucks a month. So I, what I'm thinking about doing uh, I do not want to sit there for another three hours. I loved Endgame. I thought it was amazing, but it's over three hours long, and I just don't have that kind of time. Believe it or not, I am an adult, and I have things to do. Um, however, what I'm thinking about doing, seriously considering, is uh, going for the last probably hour or so so I could see the big battle at the end, the big Avengers Assemble moment, the Portals moment, and you know, uh, Captain America picking up the hammer, all that stuff. And then hopefully see the deleted scene that squeezed in at the end. Uh, um, maybe see the Spider-Man sneak peek and maybe get my hands on a poster. I do not care at all about whatever Anthony Russo has to say. I feel like I've probably already heard what he was going to say anyways. Um, so for me, it's really mostly about the poster and about seeing the part of the movie that was most exciting. I still don't know if I'm going to do it, but I'm saying that it's certainly possible for me. I'm not going to rule it out. I feel like what would have been better and what they could have done is somehow bundled it with the release of Spider-Man. So somehow you buy like a two for ticket where you get both movies if you can sit in one seat for like five hours. I think 
that that's an option. I think if they had if they were patient, um, and maybe even did what Avatar did, and like wait wait a year, wait a year, or like wait wait a certain amount of time so that it doesn't just feel very transparently like we didn't get enough of your money the first time. We want more of it, you know. Like let let some semblance of nostalgia be generated. Don't just jump on us right away. It is kind of the way I feel about it. Um, so, or like you said, bu- bundle it with something else, or like it, it's tricky because Marvel, the Marvel film cycle, there's not very many big gaps where you could re release this thing and sense that people have a thirst for more Marvel content. And they're not getting it, you know. The the one question that I have is, to your point, the Avengers Endgame movie is still up at most theaters. So, how does this constitute a re release? Are they just like rolling out all the extra stuff? Like, why couldn't I they have just given guess. us to that then the first time around? Because it's literally still in theaters. So even though they're quote unquote re-releasing it, like nothing's really changing. They just added movie DLC. They're adding the minimum amount of content to get us to go back and see it when most of us don't care to see it anymore. We've lived long enough to see them become EA games. You could definitely say that. This is this feels like a very EA Games kind of move. I, I feel like it's uncharacteristic of Marvel to be like, hey, we want more of your money. Like, they don't need it, first of all. Spider-Man, I mean, for starters, Spider-Man comes out in one week and it is going to probably go bananas at the box office. I mean, it's obviously not going to go endgame bananas, but like, people are going to go see it. Like, maybe they're fearing that people that Spider-Man will slump and that, that phase four in general will slump because people see Endgame as this kind of like natural hopping off point, which I totally understand because it is, but like, this feels like a panic move. Do you think that, um, Endgame will eat into the movie sales and the ticket sales for Spider-Man? No, I think uh, no. the opposite. No. I think Spider-Man's going to eat into Endgame. I, yes, I think that is absolutely right. Actually. Like, it, it again the timing is so weird with it because like why would you go see a movie you've already seen that's probably an hour longer if not even longer than that uh for a poster when you could pay the same amount of money and get a completely new experience and kind of be be the first to it you know like i i, I to me it's no contest so here's what you do folks you buy your ticket to end game and walk into spider-man get your poster and see a new movie I feel like we shouldn't promote that, but honestly, if that was me and I wasn't just going to go see Spider-Man straight up, that's what I would do. I wonder, and as someone who's like a huge fan of the drive-in, even though that's like a dwindling business, I wonder how they see that also impacting sales. Because now drive-ins can pair um, Avengers Endgame with Spider-Man in one showing, and they can pretty much double up. Because even though you really you get charged for one movie, I think drive-ins have some kind of deal where it really splits between the two. So I wonder if they're trying to like almost cannibalize on Spider-Man drive-in sales. I'm a, a like I'm be. a huge fan. I don't know how popular drive-ins still are in other places, but I know here like the drive-in is always packed. Yeah, I mean, yeah, a drive-in is not likely to get any posters. I'll say that. Um, a drive-in is not likely to get many customers, depending on where on where you live. Um, like you said, the one near us is quite popular. I want to take a moment to say i love drive-ins i think they're great i'm sad that they're dying and they need to come back they're amazing huge drive-in fan 
Um, I think they've had a little bit of a resurgence. Like I know they did the whole um, every before every movie you go see at the drive-in, they do the sob story about how drive-ins in America and across the globe are basically just shutting down and dying because they aren't affordable. But I feel like there's been a real resurgence because we were huge drive-in fans. Probably this is a little bit of a tangent, but like six years ago, we lived a lot closer to the drive-in than we do now. So we went fairly often. You guys were like next door to it. I'm jealous. And so we would go and it was popular, but like you weren't waiting in line for 25 Mm. minutes to get into the, not a park, but like the whole parking lot area. And now when we drive out from where we currently live, which is like a 40 minute drive, if you don't get there early, you're sitting out on the street and there's a possibility that you won't get in. So sometime in the last like five years or so, the drive-ins have really taken off. And I don't know if that's just like a worldwide phenomenon because movies and Marvel in general, I feel like has made movies so much more popular. And like from a family perspective, there's no better way to go see a movie than the drive-in. Yeah, it, it's it's cost effective. You get two movies for the price of one. Um, it's the one place where I don't feel guilty about buying concessions because I know that the and and they, in their like SPCA kind of commercial thing, which is emotionally devastating when they show you that thing before they start the movie. They always say like you should buy concessions. It's like it's what keeps us in business. And when you're paying like however little money for two for a double feature it kind of hits home a lot harder that like yeah i should buy some concessions because like i love going to the drive-in and it really probably is what keeps them in business Um, and even the concessions they're reasonably priced as well like they're not nearly as bad yeah yeah you go to an amc or a regal and you end up paying an additional like 30 bucks for a bucket of popcorn and a drink whereas at the i think at the last time we went to the drive-in the popcorn itself was like six bucks and then the drink was your typical like a dollar fifty, and we were astonished because that was just like to get the amount of food that we did for that price, you just couldn't do it at a regular movie theater. And I'm I'm gonna have to look into. I'm curious now what the drive-in attendance has been like in the past few years because I I hope that it's gone up, I, but I do think the one that's near you has always been popular. I mean, I remember that thing backing up traffic. It's on a busy road and it backs up traffic when people are trying to get in. This is true, but. But, like, the thing about drive-ins that's also great is, from, like, a managerial standpoint, is that it's so much more efficient. The reason you're probably paying more for concessions at, like, an AMC, for example, not to not to blackball any particular chain. It's just the first one that came to mind. C- again, because I have A-list. But they're running shows, I'm sure, at certain points, they're running shows and running projectors and running theaters where there's no one sitting there. Whereas, like, a drive-in... They have essentially four shows a day, four scre- four screens a day. The shows start pretty much all at the same time. It's just it's so much more efficient. Um, there's no there's not as much building to maintain. So like there's just there's probably a lot of places where they do cut costs, but again, it's still an insanely good deal. Um, I wish there was a drive-in nearer to me than there is. I think the nearest one to me is like forty to fifty minutes away. Um, Anyways, back to our show. <laughs> I guess we shouldn't really whack super poetic about, about drive-ins, but I would definitely go see Spider-Man followed by Endgame. Oh, and I guess vice versa, but I'd probably rather Spider-Man be first in the double feature. Yeah, although I guess maybe if Endgame, and this is more like a PSA for drive-ins, I feel like it's turned into, but if Endgame was first, then you could show up late, potentially, if it wasn't sold out. And then only catch the last hour that you want to see and still see Spider-Man. Kids, and, well, and adults, I shouldn't just address the kids. Kids can't drive. 
anyone who's listening who can drive especially if you want to go see the avengers re-release go see it at the drive-in uh you'll be happy with your experience in my uh in my experience with drive-ins i've always had a good time um so as we've mentioned avengers endgame will be re-released this friday um check it out if that's your cup of tea i'm very curious at this point to see uh what happens it also adds a very interesting element to our fantasy movie league this week which we'll talk about that a little bit more later but um i'm wondering what that's going to be priced at in, in fact we can actually we can probably look right now yeah we don't have right we, don't, we don't have to talk about fantasy movie league a little bit later just put oh are you upset no we just don't have to talk about it would you it like would you just upset. like this week to disappear is that what you're saying i didn't finish my lineup <laughs> why don't we talk about why don't we talk about this right now because I now I have it open in front of me because I was checking what the price is. Um, so first of all, Avengers Endgame out of the out of the thousand dollar budget will be priced at a cool fifty nine dollars this weekend. So could be a bargain pick. I feel like that's pretty cheap. Yeah, um, it's cheaper than Men in Black International, which people are saying is like the worst movie ever. So uh, that's very interesting. That's not what I expected. Maybe Fantasy Movie League is going to update it later in the week. I don't really know how their system works. Um, I think once the prices are set, like they lock it in. So that, right, because they the can't. Prices. Yeah, because people because like, if I set my lineup now, then they can't like change it. Um, so yeah, it could be an interesting interesting week. But I guess while I'm here, we can break down what the league is looking like. Um, I know this is different than what we usually do, but hey, whatever. Uh, guys, I'm still in first. I came in first again. I think did I last week or no? Looks like looks like Nerbauer might have beat me. Yeah, Nerd Bomber beat me last week, but I had a strong week. So week f- week three was this past weekend. Nerd Bomber came in first with almost mm-hmm. exactly $100 million. Can um, I just say that even though I missed last week's lineup, what am I now in second place overall? Uh, let's take a look at the overall. It counts. You are in second place, yes. See, I ousted you, Tactic. You all laughed at me because I forgot that one week, but it it matters. I come in when it matters. Second place has, has is my moved. jam. What's going on? Well, you moved down to fourth, my friend. Um, so looking at the overall standings, so, so I guess finishing up week three, Nerbomber came in first. I came in second. Um, uh, Spitfire32, another one of our friends from outside the cast, came in third. Uh, Devin Reed came in fourth. And then, like you said, Tactic, you did not finish your lineup. Um, and you struggled. Uh, so... The standings have been shaken up. Overall, I'm in first. Uh, I have about a $9 million lead on Nerd Bomber. Then there's Devin Reed um, coming in about $3 million behind her. Tactic, $4 million behind Devin. And Spitfire, oh boy, 30-something million behind Tactic. So you have a, you have a, a solid uh, cushion. You're, you're not likely to fall into fifth place unless you forget again. Um, Do you hear course, my footsteps I, coming up behind you? Because I'm coming for you. I hear nothing i should probably see a doctor get it checked out um i would also be remiss if i did not mention our friends over at dem fancy who are sitting at zero dollars on the season i like their commitment i really do i appreciate the commitment they're not quite bold enough to just delete their account they're just gonna stay stalwart down there at, at number six and i respect it um so yeah fantasy movie league um if you want to join our league, it's it's Online Warriors Podcast. Uh, it's a private league, so you need a password. That password is podcast, all lowercase podcast. 
We got so, super creative when we made that password. We really did. Um, we probably could have changed it by now, but it's easy to remember. So come check it out. Um, I suppose while we're taking care of like, this, this feels kind of businessy um, and shout outy, we should also shout out our Patreon producer, Ben Jackness. Uh, so Ben is a Patreon supporter at the night level, which is the top level. Uh, there are three levels that I'm aware of. Uh, the lowest being Page, the second being Squire, and the third being Knight. Um, so at the night level, Ben gets uh, a shout out um, every week on our podcast, and he also gets input on our weekly quiz. And this week's is a doozy. Um, ben went out of his way this week to put together quite a quiz to uh, for us about um, the origins of pinball. So stay tuned for that later in the episode. Um, but it's also worth noting that there are other benefits associated with supporting us on Patreon, even if you aren't at the night level. Um, I believe the Squire level also gets access to our monthly secret segment. Is that right? Everyone gets access to the secret segment and the Squire and Knights get access to the super secret Patreon exclusive vlog. And if you want to see that this month, I actually made my video vlog that I guess that's redundant. It's just a vlog. And I, I basically just discussed like what we did before the Online Warriors podcast, why we started the podcast. So if you're interested, um, that is available to all of our Squire and Knight tier Patreons and it's available now. So guys, I mean, it's so secret. I haven't even seen it and I'm part of the podcast. I'm actually interested in seeing this. I want to know what you talked about. I want to know what horrible things you said about me. So I'll be checking that out. Um, but yeah, I mean, you, if you want if you want to see that before me, then head on over to our Patreon. Uh, the details being, I'll swing it over to Nerdbomber for that because I always forget. Uh, the details are www.patreon.com slash online warriors podcast. And you can also find that on our website, www.onlinewarriorspodcast.com. Or if you're lazy, if you go in the show notes or the show details of wherever you are listening to this podcast, we have a link to the website, which then has a link to our Twitter, Instagram, all of our personal Twitters, and also the Patreon. That all seems like stuff I could have remembered, especially the Patreon address. It's literally just the name of our podcast. But um, yeah, go check us out. Uh, secret segment coming soon. I, I guess July is going to be my vlog month. I have to figure out what I'm going to what I'm going to do my video vlog about. You have to Our, make sure you get the right video angle. It took me a while to get the right angle. You didn't want to have like the fat double chin thing that comes if you're just like looking down at your phone, that kind of thing. I'm more concerned about my my hair. Like having my hair. Like I'm, I should probably start doing my hair now. No, nah, just do a snapback. That's what I do. Get a good summer summer tan going too. So you, you, you recorded it on your phone? I did. Um... I have a nice camera, but it needed some batteries and storage that I did not have on hand. And when the moment stroke struck me, I had the inspiration and I just needed to take a hold of it. So yes, I used my phone. So when the moment stroked her, she recorded a video video log. I feel like lately the last few podcasts I've had like marbles in my mouth and I just, I can't get them out. Yeah, I, 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 just, I couldn't help but pick up on that. Um, so yeah, my video vlog's coming. <laughs> video vlog. Now, I'm, now you got me vlog. saying it. Um, my video vlog will be coming soon, so uh, be on the lookout for that. And uh, yeah, support us on Patreon if you're not already. Uh, we really appreciate your support. 
it really helps us keep things going over here and uh, more exciting and exclusive content to come. So let's talk about let's talk about horns. What do you say we talk about horns? Not just not just general horns, but uh, this exciting study out of the re- out of uh, the University of the Sunshine Coast, which is a great name for a university in Queensland, Australia, um, which has found evidence that frequent use of mobile phones could be fundamentally altering our physiology, and specifically giving way to horn-like bone spurs that appear on younger adults who are more likely to be frequent users of those devices. So we're growing antennas. Yeah, so basically this article, they found that um, the forward tilt of the head that most people use when they're looking down at their phone is actually causing the muscles at the back of the head to support more weight, which then causes bone growth into those tendons and ligaments, which is kind of insane to think about. Yeah, so it's not as much an antenna as it, like, and it's not even a horn. It's like, it's growing off the back. It looks like, I have a picture in front of me here. It looks like if your head grew a tail, this is how it would start. It's pretty much if you had a bone structure equivalent of a rat tail haircut. Yes. That's how I would describe it. Also, as we're explaining this... I'm looking at myself and Nerd Bomber hunched over, neck down, speaking into the microphone. So here we come, bone horniness. Yeah, so I've, since being made aware of this, I've already felt around, and I'm doing it right now too, feeling around in the back of my head, feeling for horns because like, I know my po- my posture is bad. Even Take away the cell phone, my posture is bad. So like, you add a cell phone and like, I know years ago, there was another study that came out that like, that said, like, look at people looking at their phones all the time. It's like we have a, a weight hooked around our neck. Like, it, a certain, they figured out the amount of weight. I can't remember what amount of weight it was, but it's like, take a two-pound weight, dangle it from your forehead. That's what it's That's what it's doing to our bodies, looking at our phones all the time. Well, um, the crazy thing to me was just the prevalence of this. So they did, in 2016, I guess they did 218 x-rays. Um, from people between the ages of 18 and 30, and they actually found this in 41% of young adults. So, uh, yeah, so, like, the odds here are not, like, out of control, ridiculous. It's not, like, one in every hundred people. It's, like, I mean, there's three of us. One of us probably has it, at least. And, I mean, they even, I think... The more I'm reading about this, too, sorry, I'm just scrolling down through my notes. They did another study, a follow-up one, of 1,200 people, and it was 33% of that sample set had the horns growing. And I guess the older of you got toward in that range of people, the less likely they were to have the horns. So hopefully that means we're safe. But that's just, it's crazy to think how cell phones are changing our physiological structure. Because I know texting thumb, like, that's a thing, too. Even, like, from video games and stuff all my life, my thumbs definitely have, like, that weird inward, inward hook shape. Yeah, I, hmm. I'm just thinking about all the people in my life that probably have horns. Like, my little sister probably has horns. Like, are, are we talking, like, and the, the article I have in front of me doesn't really say this, but, like, in 20 years, are we are we going to, like, see the horns? Like, I'm thinking about, I'm, th- I'm talking, like, evolution here. Like, Charles Darwin crap. Like, is this actually going to alter, are we going to start birthing children that have horns right away? That's going to be some crazy stuff. Yeah, I, I don't I don't know the answer to this, but I'm just kind of kind of speaking aloud here. 
Well, it's it, just it, thinking about it. It doesn't say that it's necessarily a genetic trait. It's more of a physiological adaption to different stresses on your body. Kind of like how your bone density increases or decreases as a function of your gra- surrounding gravity, right? Um, okay. So, but, I, it, but does that none of that translates to evolution? So, like, if you spend all your your time living in a lower gravity area, doesn't that mean you might birth a child that has lower or higher bone density? I don't know which one. I, don't I know think the there's physiological is. adaptations and genetic adaptations, and the only they're different. Yeah, one is like over millions of years. I don't know if it's millions because if you go back to like the finch example on the island and now we're getting really deep into biology and history kind of stuff but the finches they changed and started seeing like um like the changes in the lineage and the the offspring of the finches pretty quickly and i know they have a much shorter lifespan than humans but i mean still the changes took a in uh, place wow marvels again sorry um those took hold pretty quickly though so I and I want to add this because I again was just skimming the article as you were talking. Um, the lead author of this study says that if you run your hand over the lower rear part of your skull, if you have a horn growing there, you can probably feel it. So, so like the good news for me is I recently had a CT scan of my head for my sinuses, with nothing bad, just like checking out my sinuses. So I know for a fact that I don't have horns, but good luck to the two of you. I hope you guys aren't horned weirdos. So I'm he- telling you right now, I, fe- I, I feel something. I don't know, but like, I don't know. I don't know. It could just be a skull. My skull is weird. I have a big head. There's a lot that could be going on back there. I don't know if it's a horn, but it feels like it could be a horn. Here's my biggest takeaway from the article. It says we're having physiological adaptations and growing horns based on craning our necks down. So... If you are concerned about it, folks, literally just don't give your kid a cell phone until he's at an appropriate age. So what I'm hoping for is that more of this research would continue and they'll say, hey, you'll be okay if, if you let their you know, neck and skull muscles develop up to this age and then give them a phone. I'm very now, curious, like, if you notice your posture, so I read a lot, and we've had the history of humans people read like there are bookworms for the last few hundreds of years so it's pretty much the same posture like i don't know how you guys read but when i'm holding a book it's pretty much like down almost at like chest or lap level and i'm craned downwards to read my book so do you think this just like how can you attribute this to cell phones or do you think it's just everything uh, th- so that's a good question. Uh, I can tell you that as I think about the way I read a book, yeah, the way my I'm holding my head and my neck is very similar with one major difference, which is that I don't ever read a book while standing up. That's a good point. Probably the percentage of time. Like it, you read a book in like an hour or two increments at a time, whereas as a population, we're on our phones constantly. And the other thing is... If I, if I sat down right now, and folks, if you're listening, do this yourself. Imagine where you'd hold a book. It's generally at a 45-degree angle from your head. And then imagine where you'd hold a phone. It's usually closer towards your, your groin, really. So there's a lot more tilt on your neck and, and a little bit more strain that's occurring there, for me personally. I always have my phone right on my groin, not even near it, on it. I'm just kidding. That's that's not real. But like, yeah, I I mean, 
I think a lot these days about you ever like go run an errand and then you like leave your phone in your car and you have to wait for like five seconds and you're like, oh my God, I don't have my phone. I might as well die. Like it's just, it's this weird thing. You feel suddenly so attached to it and so dependent on it. But it, those are rare moments because in the moments when you always have it, you don't ever feel that like need to have it. So this past week, my sister, so I was downloading a bunch of wedding planning apps and apparently I used up a ton of data because I wasn't on my Wi-Fi network. I was just using my cell data because I had turned it off at one point and never turned it back on. So I like blew through the data for the month. So for the past like week and a half, I turned all of my cellular data off. I haven't been able to get picture messages. I haven't been able to use like any of the Apple Maps I haven't been able to do anything unless I'm on Wi-Fi, which means basically once I leave my house or work, I'm basically stranded. Exactly. Stranded. And the first few days, it really was super jarring because I would go look something up and realize, oh, I can't do this. I don't have Internet. But the longer that I've gone without cellular, I don't know if I'm going to turn the data back on. Like my plan re-ups actually today and I still didn't turn the data back on and it's been kind of nice. Like there are a few instances where you're in a pinch and you really need to Google something. But overall, it hasn't been bad. It's been really like freeing. Here's a challenge for you folks and just take the time to do this. Go outside, find a nice soft patch of grass, lay in it and just look at the sky. Don't take your phone out. Just listen. It's so worth it. For for me, it's like, you ever been in a waiting room without your phone? Because then it's like, what am I supposed to do? Think my thoughts? Like I it, stare it feels at people. Like, it feels like torture. It's not, it's not right. Um, I've found that it, must be like scary. super prevalent because all of the magazines and waiting rooms now are super outdated. Yeah. I mean, I don't even know why waiting rooms have magazines anymore. What's the I, point? I get skeeved out by touching waiting room magazines. Like a lot, a lot of times it's like a doctor's office, right? Yeah, it definitely depends on the waiting room. Because, like, if you're, like, waiting for a haircut or something, for example, like, sometimes the magazines have, like, those little papers in it that, like, you ever have the, get the magazines that have, like, the samples of cologne? Oh, yeah. That's, like, that's living right there. That's the only time I ever want to hold a magazine in a waiting room is if it has, like, the smelly papers that I can smell. Anyways, uh, check a few of horns. Um, cause we're not going to do it for you. And it, maybe if, if you find it, and you don't like it, you can reverse it by laying in some grass and looking at clouds. Mm-hmm. We should do, here's an idea that I'm just stating live as like a segment every week. We should have a, a health tip. I can get behind that. You know, as nerds, I feel like a lot of our hobbies cause us to neglect our health and overall just well-being. And I think a health tip would be pretty good because I know like I, I used to run the Diary of a Healthy Nerd, which has I've kind of put that on the wayside to really focus on life and the online warriors. But um, I just like you're, you're playing a video game and I could go for like eight to 10 hours without drinking anything. When I played Spider-Man, like I played that straight through pretty much. And there was the one day when I don't think I drank water and it was bad. Drink water. So now, so this week we have two health tips. One, lay in the grass and look at clouds. And two, stay hydrated. Um, I, I myself have recently learned about the importance of hydrating. Um, so yeah, maybe maybe uh, every week one of us will give us give all everyone a random health tip. 
we'll we'll, we'll run that by our uh, our board of directors and see what comes back. Um, finally, to to round out the round table roundup, uh, let's talk about uh, this. What's it called? Wizards Unite. Yeah, Wizards Unite. Um, so, if you haven't already heard, Harry Potter Wizards Unite is essentially the Pokemon Go of the Harry Potter world. Um, and it came out, I think, last Friday. I think it released early last Thursday as a surprise, but it was supposed to release last Friday. Um, long story short, it is not as popular as Pokemon Go. And there's there's actually data on this. Um, a company called DFC Intelligence actually um, had researchers go to Pokemon Go hotspots in LA, where places where Pokemon Go people were crawling around during the Pokemon Go heyday, and basically... Um, see if there were any Wizards Unite players there as well. Um, but they essentially found either nobody or, like, one random person playing. Um, I won't get into the data beyond that, but um, essentially, right now, suffice it to say, the Pokemon Go idea that was so brilliant for Pokemon Go and, like, shook the foundations of society for a week, based on what I remember, is not working the same way for Harry Potter. And there are some theories... Uh, as to why that is but I, I guess first of all do you guys have any any theories do you have you guys tried the app or do you know do you think you know why it's not working out the same way so i'm a huge harry potter nerd and i'm a pokemon nerd and harry potter in an ar and community driven game sounds like it would be really great but the format is just not the same as pokemon and I don't really understand, and I haven't tried the game, but I don't truly understand how the game works. Because Pokemon is very natural. The entire game is centered around catching over two, three, four, I think we settled over 800 different types of Pokemon. And so you can spread those around the world, and there's something new to discover every time you walk somewhere. I find it very difficult to believe that the Harry Potter content could really translate into a walking and discovering game in real life. Because at the end of the day, there's not that many new situations and scenarios that you can uncover. I feel like no matter where you walk, it would be a linear experience. Whereas with Pokemon Go, things felt a little bit more unique because you went to a waterfront and there were a hundred different types of water Pokemon you could potentially catch. And, or you went to like, uh, a desert and there are probably like ground Pokemon you could catch. I didn't go to a desert, so I don't know that. I'm just talking. But the the format of Pokemon and Harry Potter is just very different. Harry Potter is more of a story-driven thing, whereas Pokemon is a more collectible-driven thing. So I just didn't really even understand when they announced the game how the format was going to work in Harry Potter. Tactic, anything to add? See, I think it has nothing to do with the format of the game or even the type of the game i think it has everything to do with it was not original and here's why so you are always going to sell tons and tons and tons of whatever it is that you're selling based on the nostalgia factor right us 90s kids were suckers like that um so had harry potter came out i think it would have had the gross amount of folks you know game changing hundreds of people out and about casting spells and whatnot. However, because Pokemon Go had came, had had its hype, and then kind of fizzled out to its steady state of users where we're at today, um, when Harry Potter came out, they just went, oh, it's just like Pokemon Go. Okay, been there, done that. There was nothing 
knew, I think, that uh, downloaders, as you would call them, were expecting to experience. I agree and disagree. I do agree. Um, I, I re- actually read this article. It was on Polygon, I think, um, today. And they basically went into why games as a service don't really work and have a viable future and why single player games are really showing more success and growth over the last few years. And it's because for the most part, they went into talking about how it's very difficult for competitors to unearth Fortnite or to basically steal that player base. Because while Apex Legends came in and introduced something new, at the end of the day, they're competing to bring people away from Fortnite. And you've seen all of these games as a service. If if that's the niche of person that you're trying to get, that type of game is an all-consuming game. Like that's what you're playing. You're dedicated to it. You're probably not playing something else. So while a different game of the same vein might be an interest piece for like a week or a month, at the end of the day, you're going to go back to where you've invested the time and the money if it's going to be a continued games as a service. There has to be something really unique to pull you away. So I think right now, the type of game that Pokemon Go and um, the Harry Potter game, which the name I lost for Wizards second. Unite. Yes, Wizards Unite. They're the same game, basically. But Wizards Unite doesn't have that collectible pull, which I do think is essential to why Pokemon Go was a success. But it's basically just putting the spin, this like a different spin on the same game. And at this point, the player base is leveled out where you're not going to really draw those people away from Pokemon Go. They've spent the last two, three years playing it. Still playing it. So you're not going to really pull those people away, maybe for a day, for a week, for a month at most. But at the end of the day, there has to be something really earth shattering to unseat that game and take over that player base. So I agree with pretty much everything you guys have said. I think those are all fine points. They're points that... Uh, I have an article from Forbes here that, uh, you know, uh, as far as I can tell, it doesn't necessarily list those same reasons, but I think they're very, very good reasons. Um, the two reasons that they do talk about, one is, is much more tangible, and, and it's that the app is very buggy so far. Um, they're working out the kinks. So there are very well maybe people, maybe people who went to play it, tried, failed, and were like, well, I'm done with this. Um, the other thing is boils down kind of similar to what you were talking about um, in terms of like the Pokemon universe versus the Harry Potter universe. You have to think about the fan bases of these franchises. Pokemon fans play video games. It's what they do. Um, yes, there is the trading card game and that's popular in its own right, but for the most part, it's all about the video games. So by default, a Pokemon fan is far more likely to pick up a phone and download a game than a Harry Potter fan who for the most part, probably has their nose stuck into a book. Um, I mean, that's painting with a broad brush, painting both those fan bases with a very broad brush, but you get the idea. Uh, Pokemon fans probably have more of a proclivity for gaming than Harry Potter fans. So, yeah, I guess when you think about all these things, it's, it's interesting because last week, when I first heard about this, I thought, oh, it's going to be there's going to be a Goliath. Everyone's going to be back out on the streets again. I'll never forget when Pokemon Go first came out. You could just see people walking around everywhere. There was more. There were more people outside than there have been in the past like five years in one day when it first came out. And like when I first read about Wizards Unite, I was expecting the same thing just at face value. It's Harry Potter. It's this humongous franchise. Um, but when you think about it, well, first of all, all these reasons make sense. And then when you also think about 
the popularity of Harry Potter and where it's gone since like the last book came out and the last movie came out, it's certainly taken a turn downwards. Um, and that's not to say it doesn't still have millions upon millions of fans worldwide, but again, they might not be the kind of people who are more likely to pick up a phone and download an app. So, And I think, and I might be wrong, but I'm pretty sure the Harry Potter fan base at this point, I don't think they've really appealed to kids as well as they would have liked. I know there are still Harry Potter toys out there. There's still Harry Potter, like obviously the Fantastic Beast movies came out and kids are still reading the books, but I don't think they've really captured that children's audience and carried it through. I think it really, at some point when the books got a little bit darker, J.K. Rowling really turned her focus to the teens and the adults who had grown up with the books. And I don't think any content so far has really looked back. Even the Broadway play, like that is very focused. Well, I don't know if it's on Broadway, but the the London play um, was very focused towards adults. Like, it basically showed the growing pains of Harry Potter as a father. And even though the main characters were still really centered around his kids, it was really pandering towards adults. So I don't know, especially like, I don't know if I have the time, like when Pokemon Go came out, I was a little bit younger and I had more free time to just go wander the streets. And I'll never forget, we were walking around actually in the at the town that we live in and it was a beautiful day and we were actually playing Pokemon Go and literally like every 20 feet we'd run into someone and they would ask us like what gym we were going towards and right. like what faction and yeah it was just this incredible like everybody it was a cultural phenomenon it really was and I don't think at the the age group that most Harry Potter fans are now, I don't think that you have the free time, and maybe this is just very general speaking, but people just don't have the time to go out there at that age group that, say, college-age kids do. My little brother, who at the time was, I believe he was in college, uh, I think it was the first summer that Pokemon Go came out. I'll never forget it. We were walking around... Uh, Universal Studios like in Florida like the amusement park and like you're in an amusement park it's so much fun there's so much to do and halfway through his phone died because he had been playing Pokemon Go the whole time and he was like begging my mom like you have to let me borrow your phone and like play Pokemon Go in Universal because there were some apparently very unique hard to get Pokemon in on the grounds of Universal Studio. And I'll, like, I'll never forget that being like, wow, this stupid phone game has overtaken this super expensive place to go and like with all these things to see. And like, and this was I, well, a person that was assumedly over 18. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it was, it, it, I mean, he was right in that. He's, he's right in that generation, as we are, of like people who are just, who are so into Pokemon and like are so nostalgia driven by it that they would go to the place that has a Harry Potter world in it and instead focus on, hey, i got to catch these Pokemon. Um, Not saying everyone did that, uh, nor that you should do that. I'm just saying that that's what what it was, especially when it first came out. And like you said, there are still people playing it today. I think you're... Aren't you still playing it today, Tactic? Yep. Yeah, so it's a big deal. Um, HP took a swing at it. Um seems like you have some kinks to work out i'm not saying it's dead i don't think it's dead but um not the best start for it so um with that let's transition out of our round table 
and into our what are you up to Wednesday zone. Um, and let's start, well, Tactic, you got to do the intro today, so I'm going to start with Nerd Bomber today. All right, so this past week I've been finishing up the Queen of the Tyrolean, which I talked about a little bit last week, and that, that's been pretty fun. Um, but the major nerdy thing that I guess we've done lately is we watched Anastasia, the movie, the animated feature film from Fox Studios. Yeah, an oldie. And it was fantastic. It was better than I remember it. Still super creepy. Like I was as a kid legitimately scared of Rasputin and he still holds up as a very creepy animated villain. But overall, like the music was really good. I'm surprised that Fox didn't take more of a run at the animated worlds because I can't honestly remember any of the other Fox movies of the 90s. Anastasia is the only one that really stands out and that I remember getting accolades. But even the cast was huge. Like they had Meg Ryan. Wasn't there Atlantis that came out too? I think Atlantis was Disney, believe it or not. Or I, like, I, I'll check on that, but I'm pretty sure Atlantis was Disney. They had Meg Ryan, Kelsey Grammer, um, John Cusack was in it. Like it was a pretty star-studded cast. the The guy I don't remember his name. I'm blanking, but the the old guy from Back to the Future, the professor, he was in it. Yeah, I can't think of his name either. I know who you're talking about. It was a very star-studded cast, and even like all of the music. I think that went on to win a few awards, and it was a great movie, guys. So if you haven't watched Anastasia lately, ten out of ten would recommend. Christopher Lloyd. That's the old guy's name. Yes. Uh, also, Atlantis was a Disney movie. Fox, if you're interested in a sequel, I have a plot for you guys. Um, bear with me, folks. So her last name is Romanoff. Do we know another Romanoff? Yes, we do. Natasha do. Natasha Romanoff, a.k.a. Black Widow. So here's the story. Okay, folks? So her husband gets killed. She becomes an assassin and starts the honorary foundation of assassins for people who are orphans, and that's why, years later, Natasha Romanoff takes on the last name, because she joins that squad. Think about it, Fox. Just think about it. I think it's a good idea. I'm going to hijack that and say that at one point you you misspoke and said astachians, and just think <laughs> about an all-mustachioed team of assassins. Like a team style. That would be fantastic. Can yeah. they have like the the handlebar mustache, like the nice little curl at the end? There'd be one of each. It'd be like Ocean's Eleven. There'd be like a Fu Manchu guy, a handlebar guy. You know, All of their co names would be mustache names. This is fantastic. Yeah, I'll get to work on that. Um, Anastasia, That's a better I, story, Fox. Take that one. I don't think I've ever seen Anastasia, guys. You need to watch that stat. If I have, I it was so long ago that I don't remember it. Which, the music is phenomenal. I know why it didn't do well. Because it was in the early 90s when there was still some of that like Cold War tension going on. And it was a movie romanticizing basically Russia. So I can understand why it didn't do super well. But the music was ready. top notch. Top notch. Well, there you have it. Anastasia. Um, Tactic, what about you? So the highlight of my last week was we went to a baseball game and in the same vein of the Iron Man poster, I love collectible swag. And this baseball game, it was Game of Thrones night. And so every, every it was like the first 500 guests that got there got a neat 
banner with all the players on it, and it was Game of Thrones themed. It was really, really awesome. And uh, as we were heading out, we ran to the bathroom real quick and left our banners on our table where we were oh, sitting. Oh, no. Come and then we, we went back, and they were gone. Rookie so, move, man. Well, we have, an, we have a theory of who took it. The table next to us weren't one of the first 500s. And when we got back, there was two on the table next to us. And we asked, hey, did anyone see our banners? But no, no, no. So oh, wow. So you did. You asked them. Yeah, we knew they took it, but we, we were hoping that they just owned up to it. You know, when you put someone on the spot. Yeah, you didn't want to contact the authorities or anything. No. Well, you can't prove it, right? You just yeah. know. Well, security camera footage, maybe. But yeah, I, I would have just, I wouldn't have said anything because I'm non-confrontational. But that sucks, man. Yeah. Um, so that's why I want to get the free swag from Iron Man and I'll hold that sh- sugar honey iced tea super tight. That was a, a sad update. Do you have anything happier to add? Any more dad dad stuff? Oh, d- you wanted to shout out somebody this week. Do you remember that? Ah, so the next project I'm working on is to start branding any woodworking cornhole sets that I make. I do want to mass produce cornhole sets. And a friend of mine at Retzlaff Artwork, Metal Art, sorry, at Retzlaff Metal Art, made me a sweet brand to logo all of my stuff. So check out his work. He's on Instagram. He's made all sorts of really, really cool stuff from giant metal buffalo heads to little tiny sheeps made out of spring coils. It's really, really neat. Check them out. Just wanted to give him a shout out. That's at Retzlaff Metal Art, right? Yep. If you can't figure out how to spell it, good luck. Uh, I, I feel like it shouldn't be that hard to spell. I can. I, I have it imagined in my head. We'll put it in um, the show notes. Put it in the show notes. Tweet it out. Do something. You'll, you'll, you'll get your name. Don't worry about it. Um, on my end, uh, my major update is I have finished Bioshock. I started Bioshock 2. Um, so what do you kind think? of rolling through those. Bioshock 1 was really good. I'm very, like, I have not lost any steam headed into Bioshock 2. Uh, Bioshock 2 is very interesting so far. It's very different. Um, have, did either of you play through Bioshock 2? I didn't play through Bioshock 2, but I'm pretty sure, and I could be wrong, I think it was made by a different development team. So it's supposed to have a different feel from what I've heard and read in reviews than the first one and even Infinite. And not that it's considered a lesser game, but it's not considered to be... It's the worst of the three. Yes, Based exactly. on everything I've seen. And, and like, it, yeah, it's very similar, but there's some changes... I've only just started it. I've played it for like one evening and like there's some changes that I'm not super sure I'm on board with. I, the idea of being a big daddy the whole time is kind of jarring to me. Um, not that it doesn't feel fluid, not that it doesn't feel natural, but they've, they've kept the same framework to the game, but they've made some changes that I'm, I'm just not so sure about yet. So for, as far as the second one, the jury is out for me right now, but the first one was fantastic. Very excited for infinite. Everyone has said infinite's amazing. Everyone I've talked to about it. So, um, very excited about that. Um, I also saw Toy Story 4, which I already talked to both of you about this. Um, I recommend it to anyone who's seen any of the Toy Stories, really, but especially if you've seen Toy Story 3, you'll, you're will you pretty much guaranteed to love 4. Um, it's, I don't want to say it's the same thing because it's not, but it's just about equally as good. And so. make, make sure to, to see it 
before you listen to our next podcast because we are going to be covering it? Question mark. We can For talk sure. about it. We could certainly talk about it. Um, I, you know, I just wrote um, a review on. Uh, shout out to my blog, Tuesdays with Corey. Um, I wrote a movie review on that. If you want to see it, you can check it. Check out my Twitter uh, at owillegal86. Um, so I have a lot of thoughts on it. But uh, for now, we have a game to play. And it's a doozy. So um, this week, our Patreon producer, Ben, has really outdone himself. Uh, he put together a seven-question quiz for us, uh, as I mentioned at the top of the episode, about the origins of modern pinball and um, just pinball in general. Now, um, I also want to give Ben a shout-out for creating the most hard-to-parse answer key maybe ever. And I shouldn't say hard to parse. I should say my, my tiny brain couldn't handle it. Um, I have, have, however, since figured it out. So I will be running this quiz being the winner of last week's um, and we'll be pitting Nerd Bomber and Tactic One against each other. So uh, Ben put together a nice little introduction for us. I'm going to go ahead and read that right now. So the origins of modern pinball can be traced back to a billiard-style game called, I'm going to b- probably butcher this, Bagatelle. It was invented in, might be Bagatelle, I don't know. B-A-G-A-T-E-L-L-E. Pronounce it however way you however you want. Uh, Bagatelle. It invented, yeah, it, probably, it seems like, well, it's actually French, um, but that was pretty good. It was invented in 1777 for a party in honor of Louis the 16th, Roman numerals are hard, at the Chateau de Bagatelle in France. Uh, I think it's Bagatelle, I'm going to go with that. Players of the table game would use cue sticks to shoot ivory balls up an inclined surface toward holes guarded by fixed wooden pins. The game of Bagatelle gained popularity in France and eventually across Europe, and in 1869, British investor Montague Redgrave, which is probably the most badass name in the world. I mean, can we pause for a second? Montague Redgrave? Oh my god. It seems um, very, like, intimidating. He sounds a like villain. a villain. He's a, yeah. yeah. Um... So Montague Redgrave settled in the United States and started manufacturing bagatelle tables. As the game grew in popularity, other companies started to produce similar game tables in the U.S. And with continued innovations and advancements brought on by competition between manufacturers, pinball was born. So, let's get into a few questions. Uh, It looks like these are all multiple choice. Um, So, question one of seven. According to the Guinness World Book of Records, uh, the largest working pinball machine was made by Heineken Italia SPA on April 12, 2014 for a marketing campaign. What was the total square footage of the playfield? Uh, so there's, again, five options here. Uh, there's A, 52, sorry, 5,280 square feet. B, 1,321 square feet. Uh, C, 872 square feet. D, 1,056 square feet, or E, 2,447 square feet. If you need me to read those options again, I can. Uh, Who gets the trag first? I guess guess whoever gets closer? 1,372. That's not an option. Do you want me to read the options again? (laughs) Yes. Uh, I think the one you're probably thinking of is 1,321. Um, So there's 5,280... 1321, 872. Okay, 1321. Okay. Nerd Bomber? I wanted E. It was 2000... 2447. Um, okay. Well, one of you got it right. I will Ooh. say that much. And it was Tactic 1. Oh, wow. So, I'm so bad at all trivia. 
Um, that's the spirit. It's time to rally. We're moving into question two. Pinball was illegal in the city of Chicago, which ironically is arguably the largest producer of coin-op amusements of all time, due to the game being perceived as an instrument of gambling and crime since the 1930s. In what year did it become legal to play a pinball machine in Chicago, Illinois? Uh, so here are your options. 1977, 1945, 1985, 1967, or 1971? Tactic, you will start this time. 1971. He started last time. Um, you can guess my right. answer, too. It's multiple choice. No, I'm going to go with 19. It was 61, right? Was 67. 67. I'm going to go with that. I'm trying to think of when the World Fair of Chicago was. So, you guys both got it wrong. Okay. Um, do you want me to give a point to who was closer? Yeah, let's do that. Okay, uh, you're going to regret that because Tactic is the point. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> it was 1977, guys. Really? Uh, yes, indeedy. So, where does that leave us? Uh, at least it's not question three with Tactic up by two points. Nerd Bomber, you'll go first this time. Okay, which pop music icon was featured on the back glass and playfield of Captain Fantastic and the Brown Dirt Cowboy, produced in 1976 by... Bally, I think is the name of the company. You have Michael Jackson, Elton John, ACDC, Kiss, or Dolly Parton. So, who, of those, who do you think is most likely to be on a pinball machine called Captain Fantastic and the Brown Dirt Cowboy? I think it was... I might actually know this one, but I don't know. I think it might have been ACDC. Tactic? I'm going to guess ACDC as well. Oh, you guys, stink. Guys, you're both wrong. Uh, this is the name of one of Elton John's albums, Captain Fantastic. Oh. Um, so it's Elton John is the answer. I, I, I would have gotten that one correct. Clearly, I'm not the world's biggest Elton John fan. Like, I really like Lion King, but I, I've never really rocked out to much Elton John, so I don't know that one. So from a strategic standpoint, if you don't know, guess the same one as the other person has. Then you guarantee that either you both get it right or you neither get it right. Um, with that in mind, we'll, we'll be alternating who goes first, because I didn't think about that. Um, Question four, we're at the halfway point. In an attempt to save the Bally Williams Pinball Division at WMS Industries, the concept of Pinball 2000, that's in quotation marks, was developed in 1999. What was the revolutionary feature of this concept? So again, there's five options. A, multicolored balls with 2K printed on them. B, sides made of plexiglass so one could see the inner workings of the machine and the playfield. C, Back score panel was replaced with animatronic figures which would comment on your play and tell you your score. D, four sets of flipper buttons and 12 flippers on the play field. Or E, holographic animations and effects. Tactic goes first this time. C, holographic, fi- not, not the ones that comment on your plays. Oh, the animatronic guys? Not, not, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm going to say the extra flippers. Guys, you're both wrong. Holographic animations and effects projected onto the table slash play field. I mean, that's the one I picked. No, No, you picked animatronic figures that would comment on your play and tell you your score. Those Uh, are like the the creepy Chuck E. Cheese guys. Yeah, which I would love that. I would love any of these things, honestly, except for maybe the multicolored balls. That would be kind of lame. Met the other one. 
Okay, I'm sure you did. Uh, so Tectic's still up by two. It's two to zero here. Um, okay, the best-selling pinball machine of all time is the Adams Family, made in 1991 by Williams. How many total units of this machine's original and gold runs were sold? Um, let's forego the multiple choice here, and let's just let's just do prices right style. And uh, Nerd Bomber, you will go first. My eye is twitching. You can't see that. My brain started like frying. Um, I'm gonna say, oh, seven hundred and fifty thousand. Okay, tactic. I'm gonna do a cool million. You guys both busted by a lot. I kind of figured a lot. I know the machines um, are fairly rare, and there's not many of them. It's like it's not like a mass-produced thing. Do we get? A, not- can we get another go at it? I'll give you another go at it. I'll, I'll tell you that you both busted by a lot, and then you can you can go again. Okay, I'm gonna go with twenty five thousand. Okay, tactic. I'm gonna go with six. <laughs> okay, I don't know. I I want to throw this question out because technically tactic gets it because of because of Price is Right rules, but Nerd Bomber was way closer. Uh, it's twenty one thousand two hundred seventy. I feel like I should totally get the point for that. Uh. After conferring with the judges, I am going to give Nerd Bomber a pity point. Yes. So Nerd Bomber's at a point. Um, and okay. Uh, number six. One of the only companies making pinball machines today is Stern Pinball. The company has changed hands four times in its long history of making pinball machines, which started in 1935. Which, oh gosh, which one of the company names below is not one previous owner of Stern Pinball. So I'm going to give you five company names. Um, and Tactic, you will go first. Chicago Coin, Data East, Bally, Stern Electronics, or Sega? Chicago Coin. Okay. Nerd Bomber? I'm going to go with Sega. You guys are both wrong. I'll, I'll let you both guess again. Can you repeat the ones that we didn't guess? Data East, Bally, and Stern Electronics. Bally. Okay, I'm going to go with Data East. Okay, Tactic got it right. <laughs> it's Bally. Bally Total Fitness does not do pinball. <laughs> no, Bally was like a pinball manufacturer. I just didn't know that they... Yeah, I mean, it was mentioned in, the, in one of the last questions. I can't remember which one. I don't I know why. Else? I figured that was like too obvious, and I didn't want to pick it because of that, but I am dumb. So. I might also be pronouncing it wrong. It's just spelled ball with a Y on the end, but I don't, I feel like Bali sounds weird. <laughs> so I've been saying Bally. Um, ben, I'm sorry. I, I, I'm truly sorry if I'm pronouncing a lot of things wrong because there's a really good chance of that. Um, okay. So Tactic has three points. Nerd Bomber has one. Um, and it's a pity point. And it's, a, <laughs> yes. And it's a pity point. Um, to wrap things up, we're going to have a lightning round. Now, guys, there's a lot of points at stake here. Uh, there are 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 potential points to be had here. So, you know what? Let's do a half point for each just to keep things reasonable. So, you can get up to six points in this round. Name the year in which the following advancements in pinball were made. Closest to the year wins. So, um, yeah. Well, I'll be giving out half points for all of these. So, the first one is electronic sounds. Who gets to go first on this one? Uh, it would be Nerd Bomber, I think, if I remember correctly. Okay, I'm going to say 1977. I'm going to say okay. 1952. 
Okay, Nerdbomber got it exactly right, so that's a half point for Nerdbomber. I feel like if I actually got it exactly right, I should get like a bonus point. Stop milking points. She she wants all the pity points she can get. So Nerdbomber has one and a half. Tectic has three. Uh, tilt mechanism is number two. Tectic gets to go first. What is meant by a tilt mechanism? The tilt mechanism detects when the machine is being lifted, tilted, or sh- tilted or shaken beyond an acceptable level. So it's basically an anti-cheating device. Ah. <laughs> yeah, 19- so to- totally not what you were just saying. <laughs> 1988. <laughs> okay. Uh, I'm going to go with 1993. Tactic gets the point. It's 1935, guys. Oh, it was really? way back when this whole thing started, essentially. Um, so Tactic's at three and a half. Uh, this just says free game match. I don't, I'm not super sure what that means, but I assume it's just when they start giving you free games if you did super well. Uh, yeah, and we're starting off with... Who goes first this time? Nerdbomber again? I think it's me. Uh, I want to say this is a more electronic heavy feature. And I'm going to say, I don't want to keep saying like the 90s, but I'm going to go with like 1981. So with this feature, I picture a Carney going, hey, you want a free game? You get a free game. So I'm going to go with... (laughs) 1944. Okay. What kind of reasoning is that? It's good reasoning. Technic, you're right. It's 1957. No you're way. Not exactly right, but you were pretty close. Um, I love that reasoning so much. So Technic, you're at four. Nerd Bomber's still down at one and a half. Uh, Nerd Bomber, you got to get on your horse here. Uh, dot matrix scoreboard. This one's pretty, pretty self-explanatory. Uh, br- 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 so this is like with lights, just to clarify. The, the dot, dot matrix electronic yeah, scoreboard. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Each light bulb is a dot. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I think 1979. Okay. Ter- Tactic was supposed to go first that time. I wasn't, pay- I wasn't paying attention. Sorry. You jerk. Um, I'm going to go. I'm going to give the 1960s a little bit more credit than they deserve. Not than they deserve. Then we're giving them. Yeah. So are you going to pick a year or just say, just say the 1960s? The entire 1960. decade. <laughs> okay, it's 1991. Nerd Bomber gets the point. Uh, so she's up to two. It's two to four now. Uh, spring launcher for the ball. I'm going to uh, go with and, 1960. Yeah. Okay. I feel like the spring launcher for the ball had to have been in one of the first ones, so I'm going to go with 1950. Yeah, uh, Nerd Bomber, you were correct in that assumption. 1871. Oh, so, so we both busted. Do, well, I, do I still get the we, point? Yeah, it's just whoever's closest. Um, two and a half to four uh, um, is the score. How many questions uh, are left? Quite a few. Uh, looks like we have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven left. So, so three and a half points you. up for grabs. Yep, so she could still catch you. Um when did they become coin-operated? This is an interesting question. I'm going to go with 1960. Okay. Nerd Bomber? I'm going to go with 1918. Mm, let me do my math really quick. Yes, Nerd Bomber is closer. It's 1931. Great Depression era. Seems like a weird time for it to become coin-operated. I'm trying to give 1960 some credit here, but every single time, no, nothing's nothing's happening in that era. So it's three to four. She's catching you, man. Uh, 
Drop targets. I think I know what those are. Again, sounds pretty self-explanatory if you've ever played pinball. I get to go first in this one, right? Yes. I'm going to go with 1960. <laughs> 1965. Oh, man. You guys were both so close. It's 1962, so Nerd Bomber gets the point. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he's so mad. <laughs> so. I'm uh, so happy. He's, he, he, you're catching him. It's three and a half to four. It's a dead heat. Zoo getting exciting. Flippers. Slowly but surely. Flippers is next. That was cold. Flippers? Flippers. And I think... Okay, Tactic, yeah, you, tactic you go first. So the flippers are the paddles that hit the ball? Yeah, the flippers, man. Okay. I'm going to go with 1900. I'm going to go with 1890. Tactic gets it. 1947. I don't know what they were doing before the flippers, but they were doing something. That wasn't pinball, remember? That was baklava or whatever you want to call it. Bet bagatelle. Um, so, tactics at four and a half to Nerd Bombers. I think she has three and a half. So, uh, yeah, it's getting intense. We got four to go. Still anyone's game. Electronic speech, guys. Okay, so electronic speech, I'm going to go at the 80s, and I'm going to try 1983. 1983, okay. I'm going to go with 1980. Give yourself a really small window there. Okay, 1983, 1980. Let me find the answer here. Who said 1980? Tactic. You got it right. 1979, so you were closer. Um... So you're up at five now, and so Nerd Bomber, to tie, you have to get these last three correct. Pressure's on. The heat is off. Whew. Uh, okay, multi-ball. I'm going to say this is Tectic's turn to start. Very good. Uh, I'm going to go with, I don't really, I can, I, you know, less stress. I'm just going to go with 1960. Feeling good about it again. <laughs> I feel like the multi-ball thing probably came a little bit later on when electronics allowed for multiple balls to come out. So I'm going to say 1982. I think it's in the 60s. A guy going, you want another ball? You get another ball. It was, it was 1956. So, uh, so Tectic wins it. So um, I've lost. Thank you, Ben, for... Giving me a shot. I, I tried to come back there at the end. The, the yeah. questions, I, I got it close. You had a lot of chances. Um, and, and for the people who are wondering, uh, the last two spinners were added in 1963, and Magnet Save was added in 1980. Um, so now you know everything you ever need to know about pinball. I Thanks think I think that the Magnet Save could have been added earlier, too. You want me to save your ball? So Magnet in there. You get the ball back. <laughs> You should become a carny. I feel like we've discovered your calling. Your your magnanimous carny voice is like spot on. Um, so uh, yeah, that wraps us up for today. Um, a little bit of a longer episode than we usually do. You're welcome. Well, you should really thank Ben. Ben really gave us a, a primo quiz there. Um, so uh, yeah, uh, until next week. Um, have a good one. Keep keep it keep it real. Keep on keeping on.